0: The <laughs> cat My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the For my regular readers and listeners, I know I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but when it comes to forging your career path in any field, it really all comes down to the same basic components. Number one, you need to clearly identify the right ladder to climb. Number two, you need to focus on becoming awesome at your craft. And number three, you need to make sure that the right people know that you are awesome at your craft. Having natural talent definitely isn't going to hurt, but talent alone doesn't automatically entitle you to success. And working on projects that you love never happens because of my least favorite word on the planet, luck. The difference between success and failure almost always comes down to perseverance, consistency, and building solid relationships. And today, I would like to add one additional ingredient that is often overlooked, but in my belief is the hidden superpower for longevity as a creative professional, and that ingredient is humility. My guest today is a multiple award-winning season film and television editor named Scott Powell, who is best known for his work on nine seasons of the Fox Series 24, where he was awarded five Emmy nominations, three Ace Eddie nominations, and two wins. He's since worked on shows such as Prison Break, Person of Interest, The Shy, The Orville, and most recently, Queen of the South. But to hear him talk about his career path, he is about as humble as they come. Now, despite believing that you need to be an a-hole to make it to the top in Hollywood, because why? Nice guys finish last. I believe that humility is a valuable asset in any career path that you are going to pursue. In our conversation today, you're going to hear why it's so important to cultivate humility in your own life and the relationships that you build throughout your career and how to better do so. Like me, Scott is a natural mentor who has helped many land their dream gigs, and he offers words of advice to anybody hoping to climb the ladder and become a successful editor in network and streaming television. Now, before diving right in, I'd first like to thank my podcast insiders, Annie Cohen and Danny Brugman, for contributing questions to today's interview. All right, without further ado, my conversation with film and television editor, Scott Powell. I'm here today with Scott Powell, And Scott Powell, your reputation precedes you because I've been told that you're a very humble person that doesn't really love the limelight. And you, my friend, have given me the best answer ever to my intake form. On my intake form, when I have new guests, I ask them the question, how would you like to be introduced at the beginning of the interview? And your response is my favorite ever, Scott Powell, an editor. I'm like, really? Like, I, I, I would say that we could probably go a step further. So if you don't mind, I've actually written another introduction for you but I loved this intro. But here's how I would introduce you from my perspective. You tell me if you agree with this or not. Um, I'm here today with Scott Powell, who's a multiple Eddie Award-winning editor with numerous other nominations. And you've done work in primetime television and films with a short list of your credits, including 24, Queen of the South, The Shy, The Oroville, Prison Break, Person of Interest, and many more. That to me sounds a little bit more like the Scott Powell that I know, but I love the fact that you said, I'm an editor, and that's who I am. I, I respect that a lot. There's a, there's a lot of humility in that, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. So welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, so I'm excited about this conversation for a few different reasons, but I want to start with the story, and you don't know that this story exists. But one of the very first visits that I ever did that inspired me to go the direction of my career that's very similar to yours is I built a relationship with Paul Gadd. Many years ago, through a connection of a connection, and I was this green kid, maybe three years out of college, I'd cut a couple of low-budget um, feature films, and I'd done a whole bunch of trailers, and I realized I want to work in television because I am obsessed with this show called 24, and I want to learn everything about it. And I want to know how TV works and got connected with Paul Gad. And Paul said, hey, why don't you just, uh, you know, come by the, the set and post and I'll walk you around and I'll kind of show you how the, you know, how the team works. And I got to walk around, you know, CTU and everything else. And you don't know this part. And I've always wanted to tell this story. I sat outside your edit bay for an hour waiting for you to be free, just so I could come in and introduce myself and say hello and say how much I admired your work. And Paul was finally like, dude, I'm really sorry. Like he's trying to get a cut out today. Scott's super busy. I'm like, no worries. Cause I just thought at that age, oh, opportunities like that happen all the time. And they're so rare, but I actually sat right outside your door and kind of peeked in and watched over your shoulder for an hour as you cut an episode of 24. And that would have been, I mean, if it was season five or six, that must have been almost 15 years ago. Um, but it's a very, very fond memory of mine. So uh, that having been said, I wanted to to use that to kind of tip off the show because uh, I'm, I'm excited about this moment that now I have the opportunity to talk to you about your path and your career and everything else. So this is going to be fun.
1: Yeah, cool. Was I alone in the room at the
0: time? I believe so, yes. I mean, it was a long time ago, but my memory was like you were just in the zone. I think it was like a Thursday or a Friday and you were getting out a network cut or something. So I didn't pick the best time to show up, Um, but Paul really tried. It's like, yeah, I want to introduce you to Scott. And I think I met one or two of the other editors and I got to spend like an hour with one of the assistants and they explained to me how you guys do the recaps and how the assistants get to cut the recaps. And I was like, oh my God, that would be my dream someday to cut a recap for 24. Not realizing where my career would eventually end up. But that was like the dream for me at the time. And, you know, it just didn't work out and I wasn't able to to come in and visit you. But, uh, you know, here we are a decade and a half later and we get to to talk as colleagues. So,
1: But you could have come right in because I actually like having company
0: in the room. Well, sure. Sure. You tell me that 15 years later.
1: Paul should have known to just send you right
0: in. Yeah. And he was, he was super nice about it, but at the end of the day, he's the producer and he had the same deadline to meet as you. And I think he wanted to get the cut out, but I yeah. was so nervous. I can still picture myself sitting there like, Oh my God, Oh my God, they're cutting 24. And I'm listening to episodes that haven't released yet. Like this is the coolest thing ever. And I was so nervous. Um, and I did, I didn't want to be that guy that was uh, interrupting uh, your, your flow, but, uh, it, Anyway, it only took a long time to, to get here, but finally, I get to, quote unquote, to pick your brain about the industry. So I'm very excited about that. Where I want to start is I want to learn a little bit more about your own personal journey and your trajectory to get to the point where you've worked on what I think are some of the coolest, most iconic shows in TV over the course of the last 10 or 15 years. So what, what's the origin story? And we don't need to go into every single little detail, but what led you to being the guy that worked on one of the most transformative network shows on TV, which was 24.
1: That's a pretty good story. It took a long time. I did, you know, I I, uh, <clears throat> I started in 1984 as an apprentice. And when we were, uh, you know, cutting and splicing film, 35 millimeter film, my first job was putting code numbers on film. It's a, it's a long, boring story. You know, I, I won't explain what that is, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an entry level job for sure. And then I gradually, uh, you know, get to syncing dailies and popping tracks and ordering opticals and people took me under their wing and, you know, taught me how to be an assistant editor, film assistant, much different than uh, what it is now. And then, uh, you know, I I just worked my way through the ranks, Uh, moved up to editor on, you know, just a dramatic series, a, a thing called blue skies, which was sort of a feel good family series, very short-lived, you know, I I was bumped up from assistant, and then it was canceled right away, and then uh, shortly, you know, maybe a year or so later, I got a job. I was actually hired as an editor on a show called Wolf, and uh, that had great potential, but it got got canceled also, and then, of course, you know, I've only got two credits. I can't get arrested, so uh, I had to take um, a uh, you know an assistant job or or two and one of those assistant jobs was for it was a tv movie that was produced by the makers of rescue 911 it was like very early reality tv or, or docu tv hosted by william shatner and uh so i got to show off kind of a little bit for the producers and i begged them to hire me on rescue 911 and they did and so now I'm in the uh, sort of reality world, the docu-reality world, which is a completely different world. I, I had no experience with it. And I'm used to, you know, looking at a script and, uh, you know, l- lines on the pages telling me what what, what uh, to do. And uh, they gave me a box of three-quarter-inch tapes, dropped it in my lap and, and said, here, let us know when you have a first cut. So I start going through these tapes of these interviews with you know the real people who are involved in the in the incident fumbling and mumbling their way through these stories and what the hell am I gonna do with this you know so you know I, ju- I just go through and get everyone's side of the story and start pulling little sound bites that seem compelling or emotional or 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 whatever and uh, you know to to tell a story that way and uh, it was a tough transition I wasn't you know, very, very frustrating. I think it took me five weeks to get uh, the first kind of a 10 minute segment. Um, that was my introduction to documentary editing, which is very good for the skills. And uh, not always as much fun, you know, it's it's, it's a little more grueling than.
0: Uh, yeah, when you're in the documentary world, you're very much in the trenches. Um yeah, wearing he, a lot of hats. Too, right? Yeah, I've, I've 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 done just about every genre and medium at this point and documentary. It's just a slog. I it's really rewarding, and there's something great about the emotional connection to very real stories and real people. But from a process standpoint in a daily level, God, it's a slog. There's so much material and so much detail. And I think one of the other challenges that I found is that when you look at doc versus scripted, in scripted, they kind of do most of the work for you and they tell you what order to put the words in the scenes. And granted, we have some license and we can rearrange things, but you kind of sort of have a story with documentary. You can make the story whatever you want, which means you can edit forever. So it's it's a, it's a whole different kind of challenge.
1: For sure. But uh, anyway, it was, it was a good experience and it got me, into uh, that world so I didn't take any more assisting jobs but for 10 years or so I was mostly doing that even though I wanted to be doing scripted so you know I, I worked on that on, on rescue 911 it was a steady gig it could have been like a year-round steady gig it was not it was not union it was um, IMDB actually it was <laughs> International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers which was you know a whole different thing but uh, anyway, I was hired to do a TV movie, a Western, Gunsmoke, and the reason I was hired to do that was one of my early assisting jobs, uh, I met a director named Jerry Jameson, great guy, and uh, we were on a chem session, you know, uh, the, the flatbed movieola, it was a big rush to get this thing out, so it was all hands on deck, three editors, and me as the assistant taking notes. He remembered me because there was a an issue that I made a suggestion that solved the problem. And he claimed uh, that I was the only one out in the group who really knew what he was talking about. And I came up with this suggestion. Uh, It was a disaster on set. It was a car chase that failed for some reason. Then I said, well, you got enough of a foot chase after the car chase. Can we, you know, I I, I came up with an idea that helped. Jerry remembered me, you know, number of years later and hired me to cut this great big western tv movie Gunsmoke (laughs) and then I you know I ended up doing uh, one of those a year for three years it was only three months of employment and the rest of the time I filled out trying to do you know reality stuff and that's kind of the way it went for a while you know I, I was sort of doing you know I did some music videos I did some just a variety of different stuff to try and keep busy. A lot, you know, that's really not resume-worthy. But I met a I met an assistant <clears throat> named Larry Davenport, and hired him. And uh, we worked together. We had so much fun together. We just laughed our asses off every day. Practically, we just had this. We we just triggered each other. We made each other laugh, and uh, so we became great friends and uh, worked together. And then I couldn't get arrested. Uh, so I w- was back onto a reality thing. And he, uh, so we, we uh, got out of sync and went different ways. A year or so later, he called me and he said, you know, I, I just got this new Kiefer Sutherland series. And I think I got you a job on it too. So what? You know, assistants don't get editor's jobs. It's usually the other way around. But uh, he knew the producers f- from, you know, a past experience working with him, you know, you know, 20 years prior to that. And so I went, you know, uh, in for an interview and then a call back and, uh, he had already sold me to these people. You know, he, uh, he got the job and he, he very outgoing guy. He said, uh, well, do you have all three editors? Now we're still looking for one. Well, I got a great friend named Scott Powell, team player, blah, 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 really, you know, just sold me to him. and that totally put me on the map being on that show. You know, it was uh, my, my first ever consistency, you know, not looking for another job every three months, you know, it was like 10 months of work for nine years. So it was, you know, it, it was a whole new world for me. And it was so much fun to cut, you know, and, you know, we won awards and what was cool about 24. Most people don't understand what we do. You know, we only, uh, uh, call attention to ourselves when we f- up, you know, like, Ooh, that was a jarring cut. <laughs> but, uh, this people it's very visible editing. Uh, you know, mostly because of the, the split frames we did and such, but, uh, in in and, and just the very, very frenetic cutting we did. And, uh, so people who know nothing about editing loved the way it was edited. So, uh, you know, that was cool. So neighbors, you know, a lot of fans, you know, friends and neighbors are really into it. And I'm not used to, you know, I had never really mentioned to people. I, I wouldn't bother telling them, oh, you got to watch, you know, the show that I that I edited. I, you know, I didn't really have anything worthy of that in, until I got on 24. And that's, uh, see, I got in in 1984 and now it's, it's 2001. So, you know, 16, 17 years uh, until I really got some consistent good union work on something that I could really be proud of. So that, you know, that's it. That goes to show how long that can take. You know, I was making a living up until then and I was working hard and I was for the most part enjoying my, you know, my career, but uh, that's when it got good. And since then, you know, of course, there are like a dozen writer producers on that show and I got to know all of them and they all went to do different things after 24. So I, you know, I, the phone, thankfully, has been ringing since then.
0: Yeah, I would imagine it's a lot easier for you to get meetings now than it probably was in 1999 uh, with uh, with the things on your resume. Probably a little simpler.
1: Oh well, yeah, and I was I was honestly getting ready to give up mainstream TV because I was really frustrating with going for a lot of interviews, getting the call out. Oh, we really liked you, but we had to hire this other guy. And you know, I, I remember I was I went through like six of those in a row. Thankfully, I had this uh, company that I would was you know would keep hiring me back. They did uh, a lot of things for Discovery Channel, these cool little uh, little docu series, you know, low budge, non union, but you know pays the rent.
0: One of the processes that I go through, maybe not as much anymore, but especially when I was just learning the industry and coming up, it was identifying people that I really want to connect with, but also. Understanding what was their career journey in the first place you start as IMDb because it's the simplest version of what's your career journey. And I remember looking at yours and this would have been years ago now. So you all the latest credits you've had probably in the last decade weren't even there yet. But even as of like 2004 or 2005, I remember having two very distinct questions when I looked you up and started to research you. The first one was, you don't really have many assistant editing credits and you were an editor almost out of the gate, which is actually very similar to my trajectory. But then the bigger question, and I'll put you a little bit on the spot, but it is on IMDb. The biggest question was, hold on a second. How did you go from Playboys Playmates busting out to 24 in one year? What is going on? So I want to talk about both of those.
1: Okay, the assistant thing, we didn't get screen credit on assistant editing gigs. I did most of them for CBS and I did one for Warner Brothers. I didn't I didn't get credit. I got credit on one one assistant gig, even though I was an assistant for five years and never got a screen credit. That That's the reason for that. The five Playboy, years
0: still isn't that bad though. That's a lot shorter than a lot of people to, to get to the kind of place that you were. But five years is more than is reflected on IMDb for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, it was probably more like seven. I, I got moved up after five, but then didn't stay there. I was back and forth, and then when I got rescue 911, you know that was it was pr- probably six years in the union, something like that. The Playboy thing, I forgot how I landed on that, but th- that's a funny story. You know, I'm not ashamed of that. It's not porn. It's it's you know it's it's uh, very artfully done. R- really good directors and good, uh, very good cinematographers shoot that stuff, and uh, y- you know it's it's artful and. <laughs> Who wouldn't, you know, what normal dude would say no to that? And, and it would fill <laughs> it would fill blocks of time and I'd, you know, make a living. But what they did on that was they would recycle old segments into new video releases. So there was a time when it was, I, I should have known to not put my real name on that, you know, because they, they did put credits on the video releases and they would re-release them. And then all of a sudden on IMDB, it looks like I did, you know, I had like a dozen titles and that was embarrassing, you know, voluptuous vixens and these, I finally got an agent. uh, Well, not until like 2010 who, who uh, his assistant had to work very hard to get those off there. I kept trying to delete them off IMDB and they would not go away. Would Not go away. It's terrible. Uh, so so anyway, my, um, my agent's assistant finally got rid of all but two and there's still two on there. And I said, that's fine. And, you know, as long as it doesn't look like I made a career out of it, that's, that's okay.
0: And I think at the time when I was doing the research, you had like. 10 of them or 15 of them. And I was just like, this makes no logical sense. Cause you did, it's not like you had a bunch of really high end network stuff and all of a sudden you end up on 24 the next show. It's like, yeah. what in the
1: world? Like, how does this happen? I did a handful of those, but like I say, they recycle segments into new video releases and call it something else and make, make money on it. And, uh, but it, you know, it wasn't a bad gig. It was, it was all
0: right. <laughs> well, now, now that makes a lot more sense. I, um, I, I was in good company.
1: I, I respected the cameramen and the directors who who were who were on it with me. And uh, there you go.
0: <laughs> well, and <laughs> I know? think the other thing that's smart about it too, and I think this is a fear a lot of people have when they're either just starting out or kind of in that that middle area of their career where, like you said, you were really frustrated for a while. They fear taking things just to pay the bills because of how it will look. But you were taking it because you had to make a living and you had to continue working. But because of some of those relationships that you had built over time, whether it was on that or previous ones, ultimately, twenty four in a way, kind of sort of fell in your lap.
1: It did. I, I had no idea it was happening until Larry gave me a ring <laughs> And uh,
0: but the other thing that I want to bring up, though, and this is more uh, I think where a lot of our conversation is going to go. You couldn't have just shown up with your resume and your reel and gotten the job on 24, a show at that level. And again, I think one of the the pieces of context that maybe you can speak to a little bit more is that back in 2000, the idea of Kiefer Sutherland doing television, like – That's kind of weird. Like that was before a lot of actors were actually doing TV. So my guess is it was easier to take a chance on somebody unknown because I'm thinking some people are like, oh, yeah, that experiment 24. Like, what is this even going to be? Maybe I'm wrong. But I know that it was a lot riskier back then. And in hindsight, it's like, well, duh, it's their biggest show. But back then, it's like, well, what is this thing that they're doing? No,
1: it was a lot of luck, really. I think it was Larry had the the most to do with it. But producer, you know, I went in twice, and both times he kept me waiting for an hour, and I, I sat there with Paul Gad, and I made friends with him, and I think he was rooting for me, but uh, I remember Joel Cernow, who ended up hiring me, liked the way I had a firm handshake, and I looked him right in the eye. He commented on that, so I, I think he was also in a hurry, and didn't want to mess with it too much more. He, you know, he, things were gearing up, and he, he had more important things to do than than to talk to me. So my two meetings with him were brief, but I guess he liked the way I shook his hand, looked him in the eye, and whatever I might have said uh, briefly, and he just wanted to be done with it. He said, okay, yeah, good, fine, hire that guy.
0: to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Ultimately though, what I want to point out, and I know that you're probably not a, a regular listener of the show, which by the way, no hard feelings, but anybody that is knows that you just said the magic word. You said the word luck. And I don't believe in luck nearly as much as others do. And I think largely the reason you probably got the job is because of the relationship that you had with the person that connected you, because he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, you have got to hire this guy. So I think you earned a lot of that. And that's one of the lessons I want people to take from this is when they're looking at your trajectory from assistant to editor, and then from editor to landing this huge opportunity, there had to be a part of you that every single day, there was some certain mentality about who you were when you went to work and the quality of the work that you did. Because otherwise, you wouldn't have been sold that hard and it wouldn't have been as simple as, well, the guy's already amazing and he's got a firm handshake, so hired. So what is it do you think about the way that you do what you do, whether it's early on or even now, that made you so hireable and so recommendable?
1: In that case, just making friends. You know, It's as simple as that. Larry and I had so much fun together and we just both had the same screwy sense of humor, and we ended up just doubled over laughing almost every day, just because of st- stupid memories we'd share with each other. We we, we found each other very funny. <laughs> so,
0: what you didn't say is that well, I'm I'm very good at Avid, and I'm good at organizing trim bins, and I can composite well. Like you, you were. It's all about relationships. We haven't talked about craft or the technicality of the job at all. You're talking all about the quality of relationships.
1: You know, I. I found, and this is advice from my dad, actually. Keep it anecdotal. You know, if you go for an interview, have a, have a good story to tell. If if you if you're spewing out a resume, I'm no good at that anyway. But uh, it, I I, I, I the, when when I when I hire people, it's if I sense a quiet confidence. The, the, how I met Larry, the, who got me the job on 24. I think this is a story worth telling. I was I was hired on a, uh, a Dick Wolf series, and I was in an office with a couple of post producers and uh, another editor, and we were interviewing assistants, and we had like a dozen of them come through there, and and Larry came through, and he's uh, you know he's an older dude, and uh, his resume. I mean, happy days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. He goes way back, you know. And he, he was—he was kind of a hipster. He came in wearing shorts and boots, and uh, had a big old earring and long hair. I could smell cigarettes on his breath, but he had this quiet confidence. You know, he just—he smiled. He had a couple stories, and I could just—I just know this guy's really good at what he does. He's not worried about a thing. It, it was just a sense I had. And when he left, I said, okay, guys, we're hiring that guy, right? And they said, well, no, you know, we want to, and very unlike me to um, be so aggressive, but I fought to hire Larry. We hired him. You know, I'm usually very passive about that kind of thing. I'm not very aggressive. I don't, uh, 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 you know, confrontation is not my thing at all. I I avoid confrontation, you know, whenever I can. But anyway, I, I fought for Larry, and then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, he was the reason I, you know, my my career got completely turned around.
0: All because you looked out for him. He looked out for you.
1: Right. Well, plus we had a blast, you know.
0: And imagine had you not gotten in that job where your career might be today.
1: Yeah, that was a twist of fate right there. W- w- me being, you know, I surprised myself that, uh, why? Why am I, you know, wow, I'm, I'm fighting, yeah. I don't know what compelled me to fight so hard for him, but, but the other f- folks in the room were not, he he wasn't on the top of their list and there were plenty of others we could have hired. I think we, I think we hired two and he was one of them. We got onto that. Uh, I, I was talking about the way I interview and maybe, uh, it might've been observing Larry the way he, uh, did his thing. And another thing I might add, I, I, I mentioned, uh, I was ready to give up mainstream TV and I had been on all these interviews and not gotten the job. When I thought the interview went spectacularly, you know it was it was always the oh, shit. you know we, I'm sorry or you know they the, the ones who did call to tell me I didn't get the job were, uh, you know, I told me I was a a close runner up. but i I was kind of cynical at the time. I was, yeah, I'm gonna get this job, right. You know, so I didn't really, I had no anxiety about it. And I i was I was probably kind of like Larry in that uh, I was sort of quiet confidence. Maybe I was confident I wouldn't get the job, but I knew I was good at what I did. So,
0: And I think that that's actually a really good point. I think there are a lot of people that are stuck in that place. I was stuck in that place more than once in my career where I knew I had the experience. I knew that I could do the job and nobody would take a chance. The big break just wasn't coming. So having gone through that yourself, knowing in hindsight, well, I just kept doing this thing. Let's say that you're talking to somebody right now that's like, listen, I have years of experience in Hollywood, but the big break just isn't coming. How do I manage it? Like what, what advice would you give them in that situation?
1: Well, I think it will eventually happen. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than you want it to, but it will eventually happen. I, I had an assistant for quite a few years and she was a great assistant and a, a very good editor too. You know, she, she cut things for me and I, uh, you know, I shared credit a few times and she was, you know, she was uh, in her fifties and she'd been doing it almost as long as I had. And, and, um, you know, she'd done great big features and a good career as an assistant was just done with being an assistant. She just stuck it out and, you know, it took her a lot longer than me even that took, you know, and, and now she's got a great career. She's, she's doing really cool TV shows, and, uh, but sometimes it takes longer than others. I mean, we hear about people who, right out of the gate, just get these great opportunities and, and move up to editor, you know, in, in their, you know, I know people in their late 20s, early 30s who, who just hopped on it and, you know, did one good show after another, moved up to director even i don't know what the formula is it's you know i think if if you want it bad enough and you just stick stick to it just keep thinking positive eventually it will happen
0: yeah, I would agree with that, and I, I think that the the trap that I've seen so many people fall into, both younger and more experienced, where it's not just how do I go from AE to editor, but how do I go from editing docu-series and Playboy to working on huge network shows, the trap you fall into is it was supposed to happen by now. Why Why is it taking so long, but the only thing you can control is your effort? That's it. You can't control the timeline in this business. It's not like you can go on Google and say, how many years does it take to be an editor the way you can a doctor? I know exactly how many years I have to be in the trenches to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. It's very mathematical. And as long as I survive and I stay upright, I'm getting the lab coat. In our world, you don't know how long it's going to take. It's but true. you can control the effort. Can, right? And that's all you can control.
1: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And and so and you got to roll with the punches. You got to. Another thing my dad told me: you got to eat a lot of shit in this business. I remember <laughs> complaining to him. I'm, uh, my, my dad was a producer in a studio exec. He he got me my very first job as a, an apprentice, but he didn't actually hire me on anything until I had proved myself over and over again. He he let me find my way, but he, he had good advice. Uh, yeah, he 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 he's the sort one of who said I I, would, I was complaining about getting screwed over by. Something or other, and he said, "Well, son, you gotta eat a lot of in this business. So, here's another turd sandwich for you."
0: <laughs> well, I, I already like your dad and, um, and because I like the fact said, that he didn't—he didn't let you use him to to climb the ladder. He forced you to learn how to do it yourself. Right. I have a lot of respect for that.
1: Yeah, and he, and he said, "You know, you have two choices: you can stay, or you can just leave. You, you know, no, no one's forcing you to stay. You can you can uh, just quit on him. And then, yeah, he's right. I guess I'll stick it out. You know." <laughs> Take, take a bite of that turd sandwich and stick it out.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, that's really what you have to get very good at consuming on a regular basis as you climb the ladder in Hollywood. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the subjects that I really wanted to dive into deeper, and uh, the reason that you and I actually connected to give a little bit of backstory to anybody listening, um, I interviewed Scott Jacobs a few months ago. Um, apparently it's the Scott Club here where, uh, you know, Scott and Scott sounds like maybe it's a law firm. Um, but I talked to Scott Jacobs all about the world of being an assistant editor and rising in the ranks and some of the politics of it and such. As soon as we were done, he's like, dude, why have you not had Scott Powell on your show? I'm like, that's a really good idea. Like I, I admire him and I. 24 is one of the inspirations for me to, to move into television. And frankly, I watched a lot of 24 and stole from you guys when I worked on Burn Notice because that's how we learned how to make the boxes. So I watched 24, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do what they did on 24, but inject steroids. And that's what ended up happening on Burn Notice. The thing that I asked Scott was, what do you really wanna hear about from Scott Powell? Because we get chit chat about 24 and the business, in the industry. He's like, Scott's gonna tell you that he's not this thing but Scott's a mentor. He doesn't even know it, but Scott's a mentor and he helps people along the process and he teaches them. And you are a hugely important mentor to Scott Jacobs. So the first question I have for you is, do you even consider yourself a mentor?
1: Yeah. I, I, I like being a mentor. It it's, feels really good to help people move up in the world. And if, if you're helping them, they're working their very hardest for you. And uh, my mentees, I'll have these little side projects and such, and people call me and ask to cut their uh, short film. And what I do is I get one of my mentees to cut it. I, I say, "Well, I can't. I don't have time," which is usually the truth. But I'm going to have a mentee do it, and I'll do a final pass for you. It's a win-win for everyone. You know, the assistant or the the mentee gets a, a bunch of really good experience. I, I like helping people out. You know, actor friends and such. So uh, I've done that quite a bit and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. Last night I went to my former assistant's house and and looked at scenes that she cut. She was just bumped up on a show that her and I did together. It was, it's the shy. And after uh, we were all out of work, you know, for COVID uh, you know, I, I, I I was in the middle of uh, my first episode of queen of the South when everything shut down. So, uh, you know, I had to go back to that because it was an ongoing thing and I wanted to go back to it. It's a great, you know, great, great show to work on. But, uh, because of that, the shy was starting up shortly after I couldn't do both. So when, when I told them on the shy that I couldn't do it, I, I recommended they hire my former assistant who co-edited some things with me and, and, and I, I really felt she was up for the challenge. So, uh, I helped her get the job, and I was just there last night going through her cuts because she's a little insecure. It's her first uh, solo trip. but she's done so much for me. you know it, it's it's uh, she's really uh, worked hard for me. i've I've been doing a documentary at the same time I'm uh, working on queen of the south and and that that is a real handful. and she's uh, you know she 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 was off work for a little bit and cutting sequences for me of of, of this uh, docu, which was good experience for her, but it, it helped me so tremendously. So anyway, it's, it's a it's a lot of give and take.
0: Well, that and that, I want to go into that a little bit deeper because I think the simple assumption, and I would have made this assumption in my early to mid-20s when I was kind of putting you up on a pedestal and, oh my God, it's the guy that cuts 24. I would never have in a million years assumed that you love to mentor and you would want to help me. I would just assume Scott Powell doesn't want to help me. Who am I? Like, why, why would he ever be interested in helping me achieve my dreams? So what is it about mentorship that makes you look at an assistant or somebody younger coming up that makes you say, I really want to help you and teach you and take you along this path? Because I think it's important for people to identify that you're not out of the norm. I believe that most of the people we work with and not everybody, but I think the majority of the people that do what we do, we want to help others. But when you're on the outside looking in, you just assume, oh, this person would never want to help me.
1: I think, uh, one of the things it's, you know, if you really love what you do, which, which I do, it, it, I mean, it's like doing this, this webisode It it reminds you of why you love doing what you do and you, and you go away with a good feeling. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, you like, uh, teaching is sort of an addiction, you know, and, and, and when you get results, when, uh, you know, when, when you first hire on an assistant and, uh, they're not so good at you know you uh, cutting music and sound effects, but after a few months of working with them, they, they get really good. Not get that great at cutting scenes, but you know, you work with them, you you bring them in. I I, I don't like being alone, you know. Editors are alone a lot, you know. I, I like having company and uh bouncing ideas off of people, you know. Also. You know, I didn't grow up with computers, and I'm I'm terrible with technology. I mean, I've I've, I've gotten uh, to where I can survive. You know, I I, I can you know obviously I can uh, run everything, but having a smart young millennial who grew up with computers is very handy. <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a
0: selfish reason, right there. But, but. Sure. And it, I think also it's interesting that you see it more as a partnership. And like you say, I don't want to be in a, alone in the edit room. I think that largely probably comes from starting in the film days. Whereas an assistant editor, you're hand in hand in the same room. Like, here, use this. What do you think? Like, you're breathing over the editor's shoulder. And nowadays, so many assistant editors complain. All I do all day long is data management and the editor is in their own cave. They don't want to deal with me. How am I supposed to ever learn to be an editor if all I'm doing is being an assistant? It's a big challenge that's come along in the digital age.
1: For sure. And, and now that we're all working from home, even more so. Yeah, You know, that's exactly right. I, I love being a film assistant. Man, that was fun. You know, the physicality of it, the uh, the partnership. When I first moved up to editor, I had this great assistant. And he and I would throw trims back and forth. It was, you know, it was like it almost reminded me of that movie Cocktail uh, with Tom Cruise. They throw bottles at each other and stuff. They they had this whole routine. <laughs> you know, we did some of that. It was it was it was cool. It was fun and and just you know the the feel of uh, you know film whizzing through the through the block really fast and rattling through the movieola and uh, it was it was great fun and it was more of a partnership.
0: I've never had anybody in over 200 episodes talk about editing and compare it to Tom Cruise and Cocktail. That's a first. I love that image. That's so wonderful because that's not the world that I was brought up in at all. I cut one short film in college on film, since then, all digital. And it's always been about room with four walls and a door, another room with four walls and a door. And it was just that down the hall. So I've never, and I I wish that I could have experienced it back then. I've always said that I was born in the wrong time period because I love being physical. I'm here at a standing desk now. I missed her move around the office and take breaks. I can't imagine how much fun I would have had literally doing spools of film and being on the cam. Like, my God, that would have been so much fun.
1: It was cool. Yeah. I I I really enjoyed it. And we played we played core hockey in the halls
0: too. Sure. <laughs> I love you just it. Just take
1: breaks in those, you know, the film core is about that
0: big. Sure. Yeah, you can't do that with hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So what I'm curious about next, I wanna look at this from a couple of different angles. One angle is more from the person who's looking to take it to the next level and they would love to be the assistant editor for somebody in your position. And then the other angle is somebody with a little bit more experience that's already editing consistently and they're wondering how in the world do I not get pigeonholed and have a varied and wide career like you? Those are kind of the two places I wanna go next. And the first of which is extending this conversation about mentorship and assistant editors, What's the difference in addition to having a very firm grip? So everybody listening, work on your grip strength if you want to meet Scott Powell. But other than that, other than grip strength, what are some of the things you're looking for when you want to hire an assistant editor? What are the the qualities that go beyond just basic technical requirements? What what are you really looking for in the difference between this is definitely somebody I want to mentor and hire versus eh, probably not a good fit? Uh,
1: I don't know. It's, it's mostly personality, I guess. Uh it's just a feeling, you know, it's, it's, uh, my current assistant, I've been mentoring her for about five years. A, a uh, one of my 24 cronies, a buddy of mine who was a, uh, post super on 24 just called me and said, Hey, uh, this girl who's working as a PA, she just moved here from New York, just graduated college. She just wants to get into a cutting room and, and, you know she wants to get into mainstream tv and i said yeah sure bring up, you know uh, she's welcome to hang out with me no problem and and she's been for 5 years and and uh she she got in the union just last year and when my uh, assistant just uh, recently moved up on the shy man it was her turn you know she she got in the union she paid a lot of dues and uh so she she is uh you know, she she's definitely earned not that a place with me is, is so spectacular, but she's earned earned a place in my in my room. She's become a good friend. And she, the words ex- escaping me, but she was consistently, whenever she had free time, she called me and say, Hey, can, can I uh, come hang out with you? And then, you know, I'd introduce her to the assistants and uh, you know, she would get around and learn as much as she could, you know, being in the room with me while I'm cutting, but also you know, with maybe with my assistant learning how to do that. She it's not stamina, what's the word I'm looking for? She she had she had the uh
0: I call it persistence.
1: Persistence. She was persistently very enthusiastic. She would drive across town, get there at 6 30, and I go, oh shit, I'm sorry. I gotta leave at seven. You know, I gotta have you know you fought traffic to get here. But she was <laughs> no problem. I'm I'm glad to spend any time I can. She was just great attitude consistently, no question, she wanted it, you know, and, and she was working really hard for it. On, on the way to that, I had, I had helped her get a job as a PA at Sony uh, and, you know, a couple other things, but it was, uh, I, I was I was very happy to tell her that, you know, if you're available, I'd love you to, you know, come and work with me and I'm, I'm gonna hang on to her until she moves up to editor, I think, you know. I, I usually hang on to the same assistant, Hopefully, I can keep them busy enough. In the in recent years, I've I've pretty much gone, uh, you know, I've worked consistently enough that I that they can just kind of come with me on all my projects, which which is nice.
0: Yeah, I think you then have the same curse that I do, which is you love mentoring assistant editors, which means that you never get to keep the really good assistant editors because they keep going to the editor's chair, and then you got to find another good assistant editor. Yeah. Um it's just it's like this cycle every two to three years where it's like, well put another one in the editor's chair. So I got to start over and find a new one. Whereas right. it'd be more convenient to have a career assistant, but it's not nearly as rewarding.
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very rewarding. I was so uh proud of, of uh, my former assistant, uh, Danara, when I went to her house and, and watched her, uh, the scenes she's been cutting, it was just okay. You, you know, most of that you did the way I would do it. it <laughs> That was cool and you know it was, it's only a couple of years she was with me but she she just she just worked really hard and, and really wanted it And my current assistant, you know she's only been with me for a couple of months and uh, didn't ta- take take her long at all you know she, she's she's been cutting scenes for me and doing some really nice sound work and music editing.
0: That's optimizeyourself.me slash Q O R 360. So knowing all of that, now let's transition from more the assistant editor mindset and how I break in. Let's assume now that I've maybe gotten my first credit. Maybe it's not 24, but I've got a credit or two. And I'm starting to get concerned. Is this the only thing that people are going to hire me for? I personally went through this myself where uh, my first TV credit was burn notice. And if you look at my resume before that, kind of similar to yours, it's like, how did that happen? So I would have multiple people ask me in interviews. Like I went on IMDB pro and I did research and like, I just, it doesn't make any sense how you got into burn notice at all. I worked on it for four seasons And I thought to myself, oh, man, four seasons on a hit cable show like I'm the man I'm going to be able to get interviews and shows anywhere. And it was crickets because everybody said, oh, yeah, well, you're, you're the burn notice guy and that's your only credit. So we can't really take a chance on you. So I was really concerned the only shows I was going to get for the rest of my career were going to be more burn notice type shows of which, frankly, there aren't a lot of them. Um, But I was really concerned about making choices and not just taking the next gig to make sure that I had a wide and varied – Breath of work that I was working on. And when you look at your resume, it's all over the map. And I say that as a compliment in the best way possible. So do you feel that all of that was just chance and based on phone calls or is some of that you specifically charting the path and perhaps saying the magic word, which is no.
1: It was very haphazard and I rarely said no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that just ruined the whole, whole interview. <laughs> Kidding. But I mean, so do you really feel that all of this came about just by chance. And there was no sense of, you know what? 24 was awesome, but I want to see if there's something that might be a little bit off the beaten path. Cause the Orville and 24, very different types of shows, even the shy, very different kind of show.
1: It's all just people I know who lead me to, uh, right after 24, I, I hired an agent, uh, who's been fantastic, who, uh, right after 24, my wife and I were, were traveling in Europe and he kept calling me with, uh, Things he's got me up for. And he he told me the most promising show is is Hawaii 5.0. And he sent me a a trailer. And I said, okay, sign me up. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so he he got me that job. That job turned out to be not so much fun for reasons I won't talk about. So I said Brady, get me the out of here.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard a rumor or two, so we won't talk about them. But uh, the word has gone around about the that working on that show, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I understand.
1: And, and and so my my uh, agent lined me up. Uh, he said, if you can just get out of there for lunch, I've got you an interview with these people, and it was another Kiefer Sutherland show. So they, I, I know how to corral <laughs> corral Kiefer for sure. But
0: uh, I'm yeah. assuming that was Touch, correct? Yes. And that, that was, was that one or two seasons? I think it was just one season, wasn't it? Oh, it was two seasons. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so anyway, uh, I, I had no idea that was even happening. Uh, and, and so he got me an interview. I, I snuck out and uh, did an interview on my lunch break and then uh, got that job. And uh, so from there, you know, Howard Gordon, who from 24, called me and asked me to do a pilot. I'm not going to say no to Howard. Mm-hmm it's pretty much friends calling me and I'm not, I'm not going to say no to him, you know, uh, director, John Kassar has just kept me busy. I'm no way I'm saying no to John Kassar. He's, he's a very close friend and he's the best director I've ever worked with. You know, another, another director, uh, after 24, it's friends calling me up and asking me and, uh, you know, my agent Brady might have a a different job for me. And I, I, Tell him ah, that sounds good, and I appreciate your efforts, but I'm not going to say, say say no to uh, you know to this person. You know he's, he keeps calling me to do pilots, and I can't. You know I've said no to him three times. I'm not going to. I, I got to do this. You know, <laughs> so you know I, I, I make choices when if if there if there's more than one offer, but I, I have a hard time saying no to to, to anyone, especially a friend. <laughs>
0: Which I think goes back to this idea of how much you disdain conflict, yeah, right? I guess so. <laughs> uh, here's, here's another question that I'm curious about that comes up all the time. Why do you need an agent if all of your jobs are coming via referrals? Like, why, why would you want to give away 10% of your income if all of your friends and buddies keep asking you to work on stuff? Why do that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. He
1: gets me a little more dough. It's very comforting not to be alone, you know, he's good to have for advice. A good handful of times where I really needed him, you know, I did a, I did a studio feature. I had no idea how to negotiate that, you know, and it, it involved travel, and, you know, per diem. And that, that's when you really need an agent. And I, you know, it's, again, not like not liking conflict, but I want to, you know, make a respectable amount, you know, And and he uh, is is good at, without pissing people off, uh, squeezing a little more out of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my, uh, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors uh, is Dodie Dorn, who I've had a relation, mentor-mentee relationship with basically since I came out uh, of college. Um, and I actually did an entire podcast interview about how it shifted from the mentor becoming the mentee where now I help her with health and lifestyle and, you know, how to, how to better balance the hours and whatnot. But she still helps me with career stuff. But I asked her that question years ago. I said, I don't get it, Dodie. I find that I keep getting jobs from referrals and people that I've worked with. Why am I wasting my time on my agent? And she said, just wait until you have to have a conversation with one of the studio executives when you're negotiating a deal. Then you're going to see how valuable having an agent is. And I was like – Oh, yeah, never mind, because just the thought of having those back and forth and how that can just ruin a relationship, the expectation is they're going to have conflict with an agent. That's their job. But you should have a really good relationship with the head of the post at a studio or on a show or whatever it is. That alone, in my opinion, is worth the amount that you're paying an agent just to be that buffer between everything.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable place negotiating for my own rate so you know it, it it it's pain sometimes it's painful writing a check at the end of the month that's like almost as much as your mortgage but uh he's also a good friend and and uh and, and he has earned it even if you know I, I work on the same thing for a couple of years and he doesn't have any anything to do i i think about what he's done for me in the past especially when there's travel involved it's it's you know i, I wouldn't know where to begin on on that so uh I definitely make 10% more because of him.
0: That's the way that I always looked at it. Worst case, if it's a wash, then it's it's worth it, I mean, right? If they can get the you 10%, 10% more.
1: Right back to him, but that's, that's still cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you end up getting the same in the bank account with a whole lot less conflict and heartache and burning bridges and all that other stuff. But yeah, financially, maybe a wash, but I think you're not losing anything. At least that's my perspective.
1: Yeah. I had an agent early in my career. That was not a good experience it was it was almost like a facade where uh they did practically nothing for me one bullshit courtesy interview and another set up getting me a pass at the at, this, at the gate you know after i already st- literally that was it in a couple of years and paying him uh, and uh my dad finally hired me on a on a thing and i said come on guys i you know my i really kissed up to him i said i love you guys i want you to be my agents but i can't pay you 10% here. Come on. My my dad is hiring me. Well, flames were shooting out of the phone, you know, they're threatening, threatening to sue and stuff. So it was, oh, okay. My friends are not really my friends, they're my friends, if I'm fake. So that, I, I said, I'm never having an agent, but then at, at, you know, at the tail end of 24, during 24, uh, I got a meeting on a, on a feature it was was a pretty big deal and it might have been worth leaving 24 you know like season seven to do a big you know studio feature and a friend of a friend hooked me up with this agent one of them which being the agent i've got now and they gave me a bunch of really good free advice and offered to negotiate for me or you know to to help me out just to help me out so i said "I, i like these guys if uh Uh, you know, when, when I just, if, and when I decide to have an agent, I'm calling them and that, that's, that's what happened. I, you know, 24 was kind of a big deal. And I thought, uh, an agent would help me out at this point, help me. Parlay that into more stuff, which it you
0: know it did. I love the humility. Yeah, you know, twenty four it was kind of a big deal. I'm like, it changed network television. Um, I love it, but the, the the humility is so much fun. It's funny though because I had a very similar experience where I also had an agent very very early in the day, and I we didn't have a bad relationship, but it was more he was on the pavement a little bit. And frankly, he's the one that got me the meeting with Paul Gadd in the first place, but it never really was leading anywhere. But then the agent I ended up going with, they negotiated several low budget contracts for indie films and other like, you know, indie pilots, stuff like that, just as I was building my uh, reel and resume, never charged me a thing. But the clincher for me was when I, when I did get burn notice, I got it totally on my own. They still stayed in touch with me. And after I think my second season, they said, listen, we see the potential. We really want to represent you. We're going to let you not pay any commission on burn notice until the show's finished. Then we're going to talk about doing commission on all TV shows going forwards. But they let me do an extra two seasons and not give them the commission, but helped represent me because I got the show. And I was like that's them playing a long game. They see the strategy and they know the short-term commission is worth far less than seeing the the much larger game. And that loyalty has lasted for over a decade now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I did a similar thing. I just said anything 24 from here, 5%. My dad hires me for something, 5%. And and we've gone with that.
0: Yeah, that's smart. I like that idea. So another thing that I'm curious about, Uh, this is a question that comes up a lot in my uh, coaching and mentorship community because I'm like you, where I almost don't know how not to mentor people. It's almost kind of, like you said, it's an addiction. Once you start to see it and feel it and you see these people move forwards, I went beyond the point of, you know what? I want to mentor my next assistant editor. and like, I'm going to build an entire business around mentorship and I absolutely love it. But a question that comes up all the time from the more seasoned editors that are not inscripted per se, or that have a combination of unscripted and scripted, but maybe they have a show from the 80s or the 90s or whatever it might be, and they're trying to break back into scripted, they keep hitting the same wall. Yeah, but you haven't done scripted lately. So as somebody that comes from the unscripted world, and I know it might've been a little ways back, but what do you think one of the the clinchers is that helps people understand, you might not have all the recent credits that you need, but we know you can tell a story and we have the confidence to hire you on this scripted show. What would, what would you advise to somebody that's kind of in the position similar to where you were around 2000?
1: It's, it's hard to know what the, what the clincher is. I've got two very close friends who are from the uh, reality world. I've hired each of them over the years as, as assistants, and they go back and forth between editing you know, and making really good money on reality, but they still haven't hit it. It, it, it seems to be a hard thing to do, and I'm, I'm not sure what to tell them. I, I started in the uh, scripted, and then at a point where I was in limbo, did uh, reality and uh, just just kind of filled time and, and you know made money. I'm I'm not sure how to answer that. I don't know what cut as many short films or as much uh, scripted as you you know as you can. I don't you know it's, it's hard for me to give advice there. I'm I'm not sure. I know it's I know it's another point one of my buddies is a super talented uh editor in uh reality and docu i mean he's really good and he you know he's making top dollar for it when he first started cutting scenes for me he didn't really know how and that surprised me and that was kind of it was sort of an eye-opener and and, you know i had to work with him and he 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 caught on but i was thinking oh this guy can do anything i mean he's so I've, i've seen how talented he he is at, at uh, non-scripted, but it, it's sort of a different world. And and, and if you get a, a scene, a dialogue scene with a whole uh, company of people around a, a table and all these different angles, and, and uh, it's really a different world and it just takes a lot of experience. And after doing it for so many years, you kind of take that for granted. But when, you know, it was, like I said, it was an eye opener to see s- someone who I thought was, you know, absolutely could do anything talented, had trouble with a complex dialogue scene. Yeah, (laughs) it, it, it just takes time and a lot of practice.
0: Well, I was going to say that I, I think uh, it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword and there there's a trap that you can fall into on both sides. And I've seen it from both angles. One of the traps is you think I'm incredibly experienced in reality and unscripted or docu-series or whatever it might be. So I'm just do going into scripted. And I know that I can cut anything because I'm a great successful editor. And that's could be true. But like you said, You saw a guy at the top of his game really struggle with what could be considered a relatively simple scene of people sitting around a table. But then I think the flip side of it is there are a lot of people in scripted that automatically assume you can't do scripted because you're an unscripted person. So it's like there's both sides of this. And I think your advice is perfect, which is you can be great at the unscripted, but you still need to be able to show and prove that you have the scripted experience, which is this catch-22. Well, but I need the scripted job to get the scripted experience, right? So it's it's that trap that everybody seems to fall into.
1: Right. I mean, it, it, it's most people, when, when I first started working, in order to get any experience, you had to have a job first. No one had a Moviola and 35 millimeter film in their garage, you know? Now, there are a lot of people uh, you know, who graduate high school who've already done a lot of editing. It may be just s- simple uh, stuff, but they can gain a lot of experience.
0: My son's 11, and he has a YouTube channel, and he's doing multi-layer composites in Final Cut Pro. I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even imagine what I would have done with these tools at 11 years old. Right. Um, so, yeah, I very much understand where you're coming from there. But um, there's still always that catch-22. Got to have the experience to get the experience. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, they're cutting short films, cut, you know, uh, I mean, do, even, even if you're not, uh, I, I've heard of editors going to colleges, even if they're not enrolled to to cut student films. Man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure how to advise on that question.
0: Well, let, let me ask you this question then. Let me rephrase it a little bit. Instead of worrying about giving the advice, what would it take for you, Scott Powell, to recommend somebody to be in the editing chair if it were open on one of your shows? What level of experience or skill with scripted work, even if they don't have the credits, at what point do you say, you know what, you need to take a shot on this guy? Because that's kind of what happened with you and Larry, where Larry said, you gotta meet this guy. And then eventually they hired you. So what would be the minimum basic criteria for you to do the same thing for somebody else in return if they were an open chair on one of your shows?
1: For me to confidently um, <clears throat> recommend someone, I, I, you know, I'd have to have worked with them or seen enough of his work. You know, you, Even if you see really good work on the screen, you're not sure how, you know, of, of the process, how the process was getting there. To confidently recommend someone, I'd have to know them well enough and know their work, which means I'd probably have to work on the same show as them.
0: So it's a pretty high bar then just to just to give everybody some realistic expectations. And again, I'm not putting you on the spot and I don't want people to start asking for recommendations. But in general, if somebody's trying to reach out and build a relationship with their own version of Scott Powell, I'm guessing that most people criteria is about the same. And mine is similar. I would say the same. If I there's an editing chair on a show open, I'm very reluctant to recommend you if in some capacity, we have not been in the trenches together. Because a reel tells so little of the story And a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, well, my work is cool. Why why does nobody notice me and nobody hire me? I need to know how you manage the politics and how you manage the late nights and how do you manage relationships and notes. And there's so many other factors that go into it, but people feel that there's some sense of entitlement because I've done the work. I've got the, the credits or the experience and it's long enough and it's my time, but there's a lot more factors that go into it that are much as going back full circle to the beginning that are about relationships, not just about craft.
1: Yeah. And unless you, you work with someone and, uh, you know, I, I like working with team players. I like to go, you know, next door nowadays I, I call my friends who are the other editors on, on this uh, show. One, one in particular is a, a good friend I've worked with before and he, he calls me and I call him and we, we collaborate a little bit. You know, we, if, if we were in the same office space I, I would you know walk down to his room and talk to him and you know look at some of his stuff and vice versa i i, I just appreciate that kind of uh i love a teamwork you know going back to not wanting to spend a lot of time alone i like being around people there are a lot of editors who who just want to be alone they close their doors and uh they're by themselves all day you know uh it's it's just that, that nothing wrong with that it's just uh, it's just not me
0: Last question, because I want to be very, very conscious of your time after all, at least uh, as far as our live recording, it is our Friday evenings, and I don't want to take too much of that from you. <laughs> um, but the the last question is, imagine you jump in a time machine, and you can go back to the mid-80s, and you can have a conversation with yourself, knowing everything that you do now. What would you tell your younger self just starting out of the industry?
1: Uh, let me think. i, I got to think of – Potential mistakes.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And you might say, dude, do everything exactly the same. This is awesome.
1: No, don't don't try and be a big shot. Don't try to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, I I I think early on I was so worried about saying the right thing and it caused anxiety. Uh, and then I worked too hard at it. And I've seen people who come in and try and be the smartest guy in the room and try and have all the answers, even though they're fresh out of film school and they need to spend time as a PA. Don't do that. I mean, I didn't do a lot of it, but I did some of it because I was insecure. Relax. <laughs> That's it. Relax and make friends. That's the way I moved up. Listen more than uh, I remember being in an interview myself and and I was I was in this mode. I knew I was a good editor. People people liked me, but I was in my own mind rehearsing things I needed to say and I wasn't listening enough, and the, the guy embarrassed me because I, I I asked him something, and he said, I, I just told you that, and I realized I was so trying to be smart and, and trying to be, I, I wasn't relaxing, I wasn't listening, and, and, and that's that's some, <laughs> some of my own ADD, but uh, I, I guess my early years, I would say that. I mean, I, I always did, uh, I knew you just had to show up and put in the time and if you if you do that for long enough you, you know you'll you'll get ahead yeah I, I think that's it you know it's the work ethic but but don't be a dick you know just yeah that, that that's it
0: if if there was ever a piece of advice that could turn into an entire t-shirt line it's got to be don't be, a dick. don't be a dick how simple is it right hollywood it's not the easiest place but i think that's uh, sage and wise advice yeah uh, so uh final question for you are there any questions that I haven't asked you, or anything that you'd like to talk about or impart uh, before we wrap up today? I guess not. Um, we we covered a pretty wide gamut. I would say that you uh, you've that you've dropped more than uh, a couple of knowledge bombs that I think hey. are really good for others to hear. <laughs> so uh, don't feel the pressure. If there's anything uh, anything to leave on the table, we can leave it on now. But I'd I'd say we uh, we, we definitely did okay.
1: Cool. Well, it, was, it was fun. It was good to meet you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Scott connected us. And if you're willing, if somebody were listening to the show mm-hmm. and they were inspired by you or the value that you bring or the things that you teach, and they wanted to connect with you, is there a way that people can connect with you directly? Uh, through you, how's that? Yes, I love that. Great answer. Uh, I love facilitating mutual connections. But then you get to use me as your screener.
1: If, if you could be, if you could be my buffer, my screener. Recently, like I said, I'm doing two shows. I, I forgot all about this uh appointment we had uh until <laughs> like about a half hour before. And uh not that I would have prepared, but uh feel you can feel free to call or uh you know, text or, or email me whenever you want. And uh I'm always open to meeting new people, but uh, in recent months, I'm not going to have time.
0: And that's a really, really good expectation to put out there. But the expectation I'm going to put out to anybody listening that says, I want to connect to Scott. Scott has made it very clear. You have to come through me first. And that's a high barrier of entry because I teach people how to do good outreach and provide value to others. So if you don't come out of the gate wanting to give Scott Powell a ton of value when you first connect, I'm probably not going to connect you. But if I sense that it's a great mutual connection and it benefits you just as much as it benefits them, then expect an email or a text message from me.
1: Okay, cool.
0: So on that note, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially given that uh, you've got so many other things going on and this wasn't even on your radar. But again, it goes back to, you know what? I forgot all about this, but I don't want to be a dick. So I'm going to show up on time and I'm going to do the interview. So I do, I very much appreciate that. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, this has been great. I'm going to let you get back to your Friday evening, but I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this and, and just how cool it was for me personally to put a book end on this story that started for me like 15 years ago. Oh,
1: good to hear. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show.